Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. MacArthur Krishna, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Awesome. Glad to have the chance to talk to you. A while back, uh, a good friend of mine, Suzette Smith, uh, sat down with, with, I believe it was you, and there was another... Uh, Bethany, my co-author, yeah. So you've also got the artist of the work, Caitlin Connolly. I don't think she was part uh-huh. of that interview, but tonight I wanted to sit down and talk with you on your guys' latest work, which is Our Heavenly Family, Our Earthly Families. Really great book. Mm-hmm. I, I was at Sunstone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you guys had a table there set up, and and just what always catches my eye with your guys' work is is the artwork, and then you dig into these mm. stories where you guys are, I think, doing a beautiful job of giving women and, and young women and, 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 and girls this prominent role within Scripture that I think we've missed seeing. And mm. I just sat down a couple of weeks ago and interviewed Julie Smith, who's a, an LDS scholar in, in biblical studies, and I made the comment to her, and it's one of these things that bothers me, is that Scripture on the surface, the way we've we've taken Scripture and utilized it, we've kind of given it this paradigm that it's it's written by men for men about men. And Julie stopped me right in my tracks, and she says, "No, there are stories, beautiful stories, of mm-hmm. women in the Scriptures, and that we've got to make sure that we just draw those out." Um, I just I want to start off maybe giving you a chance to tell us just a little bit about yourself for the listener, and then we'll dive into these books and this book in particular. Sure. Um, I grew up as uh, you know part of a big rowdy family in small town West Virginia, where um, the great outdoors is is what you've got for your entertainment. And we you know grew up hiking and camping and biking and just loving being outside. Um, but then I wanted grand adventures and. <laughs> this is actually one of the wrestles with God is that um, I, I went to uh, school at BYU. I went to graduate school and then I got told that I should move to DC, Washington, DC. And I was dismayed because um, that was too close to home. It was about four hours from where I grew up. I'd spent a lot of time there as a kid. My parents really believed in keeping our horizons broad. So even though we were part of this kind of small community, they really fed the world to us. And so DC just felt like my own backyard and I didn't want to go there. And I kept telling God, no, no, no. Now is the time for me to go far and wide. Now is the time. Like later I'll come back. And, um, now I look back on that and think that's really funny because I spent 15 years in DC, which meant I could stay close to my brothers and sisters. I spent a lot of time driving back and forth. Uh, Route 55, you know, so I could go home to soccer matches and prom and um, theater performances and band concerts. And now, um, lo and behold, God had this tapestry lined out for me that um, now actually is the time that I live half a world away. I live in India now, the magic land of India, as we call it. And um, and I had got the timing all wrong. You know, I thought that once I got married and settled down, that I'd be close. But uh, as it turns out, that's that's what puts me on the other side of the world. So, 
Yeah, it's fascinating. As we as we started this interview, I'm sitting here at 7.38 in the evening, <laughs> and you're just a little bit after 7 in the morning. Exactly. Literally so, half a world away. So I'm wanting to get into bed, and you just got out of it a little bit ago. So this is great. Yep. Read the read the preview copy a couple days ago, touching back on it again today. But I also just spent a couple minutes here just looking you up. You have got to be the most interesting person in the world. <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking at pictures. I'm seeing, uh, you know, it says something here, a forest service archaeologist, oh. technician assistant, graduate student, backpacker, uh, traveler. I mean, just you got window washer, river guide, <laughs> shapeshifter, which I want to ask you about. You got this beautiful quote about you spend time now trying to shape the world. And I just love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've, you've got to be having the adventure of your life and it's just life. Well, yeah. So I actually, when I was at a business conference a few years before I shifted to India and the, the leaders of the business conference had everybody sit down and write a letter to themselves. And then six months later, they posted it in the mail. So I had completely clean forgot about this. All of a sudden, this envelope arrives in my box in my handwriting. I'm like, what in the world? And I pop it open. And among other kind of injunctions to myself, one said, I refuse to be bored in my own life. <laughs> and... um Wow. Ever since I wrote that and now looking back on my life now, I'm like, wow, couldn't I have written like, I insist on peace or I insist on happiness or I insist on, you know, like lots, lots of other things. Could have been a good mainstay, but yeah, I, my, my wish came true. A self-fulfilling refusal. prophecy. Yeah. You wrote it down and, exactly. and you've made it happen. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, so I've, you know, I'll just kind of go through some of the book. I know Suzette Smith interviewed you guys, um, a little bit back and, that interview was posted on my podcast, and so I'm familiar with some of the work you guys are doing, but I'm just pleasantly surprised to see that you've written a ton of books besides this, this, you know, Girls in Scriptures, um, series. Uh huh, uh huh, yeah. So, well, it was, um, I was living in DC and, um, was co-owning a business that was all about uh, storytelling, the importance of storytelling. And, um, we worked on social justice issues of all kinds. And then when, you know, true love came knocking at my door and I shifted to the magic land of India, as we call it, um, I could no longer be involved in my business. I mean, I did operations and I did business development, two things, really hard to pitch a client from, you know, India. So I needed something new and, um, and my husband was great because he just said, you know what? Pause. You've been working since you were 17 years old. Like, don't just, don't just throw yourself into something new that comes along. Like, like keep yourself busy, keep yourself active and really look around and decide what you want to be interested in. And so I did that for about a year. Um, and so I was still doing consulting work and still helping my husband with his business, but I didn't really have anything that was my passion. Um, and then it was amazing. I showed up to a business conference. I pitched an editor about how I'd worked on kind of social justice stories. And she said, you know, what? We, we need some of that here in India. And I started looking around and realized um, that lots of the kind of storybooks that we have, you know, by the dozens in America, they didn't have here. And so I sat down to write um, for Scholastic a series of kind of social justice uh, stories and it was great because I used my stepdaughters as the main characters, which they thought was awesome. And so, you know, I send the illustrators a character sketch and I, I can tell them exactly who the character Sargam is, you know, because it's based on my girl and, and exactly who the character Vidya is. And so, you know, the fact that Vidya runs around in a tutu is is no surprise, right? <laughs> and so it was really fun to um, 
one, to be able to work on social issues that care about, one, to be able to team up with Scholastic, who does such good work. Um, I did a you know huge book tour around India to 46 different schools. I talked to 10,000 students, you know, um, and to really spend time with my um, daughters, my new daughters, and, and cultivate a relationship with them. So I have thoroughly enjoyed um, that series, and then that led me to actually to backtrack to another publisher in America who wanted to have a series about um, encouraging kids to, to enjoy the adventures of life, you know, that, that, that small little adventures are, are readily available every single day and for a child to be able to see that um, and to have that hand in hand with um, ethnic diversity, that in children's books there, there has not always been a lot of um, cultural and ethnic diversity. And so I wrote a couple of books for them actually based on my nephews, because <laughs> we have a lot of cultural diversity in my family. And so um, it was really fun to, 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 for them to kind of have this offering, because I should back up, that was actually part of it, is that I shifted to India, and I had to leave my true love nephews. And they, these boys are what, um, who and what taught me about what true love was, you know, just this heart opening um, expansiveness that I had not experienced before. And so I was heartbroken to leave them to come to India and they were bereft. And so I actually started writing down stories of our adventures together. Um, and then that became the foundation for that, that second series was these, these adventures with their auntie. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of an organic journey that, that, you know, all the pieces just kind of plugged in. So it's been great. I, uh, I want to start off talking about the, some of the previous books you guys have done, um, and, and want to hit on this idea of kind of, of, of what, what kind of initiated this project. You've got the book Girls Who Choose God, and it's stories uh, of courageous women from the Bible. And then you did a second one, which was stories of strong women from the Book of Mormon. Maybe just kind of before we jump into this, this, our heavenly family, our earthly family book, maybe give me kind of the impetus for these two books, which kind of started off this series. Yeah, so actually the impetus for this was Bethany's three-year-old daughter. And this tells you that, that girls now are living in a different plane than, than what we did. So Bethany's three-year-old daughter was flipping through her scripture um, cartoon book, looked up at her mom and said, Mom, where are the girls? And Bethany was startled, so she picked up the book and flipped through. And lo and behold, there wasn't a single story of a female in the entire book. And she's like, whoa, this has got to exist. There's plenty of women in the scriptures. Like, this is the Bible. There's lots of options. And so she went out and researched and could not find a single book, either by Mormon or another denomination, that had girls um, in the stories. There's one, you know, here and there, there may be one story, but there wasn't like girls, right, present in the way that they were actually present in the Bible. So for most people, this would have been the end of the road. But Bethany is a force of nature. And so Bethany said, no, this is unacceptable. And so she called me up. She knew I was writing kids books. And she said, let's let's do this. Let's try. Um, and then um, we actually sat down and wrote vol one volume, one volume that was going to be all the um, all of the scriptures. We took it to Desert Book, and they actually were the ones who wanted to split it and do several volumes. Now, this is something that for will live in shame for me. <laughs> we sat down and we were talking about how we would split it open, and we decided to do the Bible in one volume um, because there weren't enough women in the Book of Mormon to do its own volume. And everyone sat around the table, me, absolutely, and said, yep, you're right, not enough women in the Book of Mormon. 
because we all know there's only six women in the Book of Mormon, right? And so then we wrote the Bible, and it was hard because there was a lot of women to choose from, bold, powerful, faithful, strong, I mean, amazing women to choose from. But we had to narrow it down because we had to fit it within, you know, one volume, which is a bummer because there's lots to choose from. And then we started doing research on the second one, and all of a sudden I realized with this, like, humongous capital neon light, duh, right, flashing before me, was that there's actually women mentioned over 150 times in the Book of Mormon. Now, some of these are the most barest acknowledgement of a nod. You know, a, a, a girl child was baguette, you know, by somebody. But lots of them are rich, beautiful, powerful stories that we've just never even considered because they don't have names. And for me, that was such a uh, a humbling, shameful moment where I just thought, I have not been paying attention. And one of those examples is like Nephi's sisters, and there's only a couple times where Nephi's sisters are mentioned, but most of the time we don't even we don't even think that he had them, right? But there's this verse where it says that once again there's trouble between um Nephi and his brothers. Uh Nephi gets told in a dream that he needs to leave. And so he is to invite everyone who will come with him can go. And so everyone has this choice to make, like do we leave, do we not leave? What do we do? And he says that those who chose to come with him were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of God. That's a quote from the scriptures. And he says that, you know, um, his brothers and his sisters decided to come with him. So that verse gives us so much information. Like we know that these sisters were willing to break with tradition because their tradition at that time was the oldest brother was in charge. And so we know that they had a choice to make between oldest brother, tradition, or following God, who happened to be at that time, whether or not they're going to follow the prophet, their younger brother. So all of us are faced with this moment. Are we going to follow tradition? Are we going to follow God? What choice are we going to make here? And we know that the sisters chose because they were part of the group that believed in the warnings and revelations of God. And so to have this bold moment where you know that these girls were torn between siblings that they must have loved and how to, how to, how to go about breaking from tradition, which is always hard, and how to build a new life, which is really hard, um, is difficult. And I personally had a lot of um, a lot of resonance with this story because I had to do some tradition breaking myself to follow God. In order to marry my husband and come to live where I did, I had to break from a lot of tradition that was not um, unrighteous tradition, but it was just different than what God had in mind for my life. And that's that's hard work. And then to show up here and be like, all right, new life. Here we go. Um, that's that's work. And so having, you know, coming across this verse, because I went through and I read every single verse where any woman was mentioned coming across this verse and having this light shine and be like, wait a second, there's a story here, you know, and not a story we're making up. This is a story that's there. We were really careful. I mean, we, we wanted to make sure that if someone read our book and someone read the scriptures, they're not thinking that we're extrapolating. We're not making up names. We're not making up scenarios like this is the story there. Right, uh, right. We just hadn't been paying attention, you know. Awesome, so that's awesome. how those books started. You know, it was with a little girl asking a question, which is great. Lots of things happen when we ask questions. I mean, Joseph Smith, right? You got it. You got it. So I want to talk about this newest book, which is which is certainly different than these previous two in that the, the previous two focused essentially on women in Scripture. And now you're hitting on this idea of families. What was the impetus for this book and in what, I guess, what, like, what happened that you guys said, hey, okay, we gotta get this one done? Sure. 
Um, it was kind of twofold. One was that we've been doing these, Bethany and I are good at seeing kind of, you know, where the, where the gaps are, right? And so obviously there was a big gap that there weren't these scripture books about girls. And I should say that even though the stories are about girls, they're for both boys and girls to read. You know, that our boys can gain great knowledge and appreciation for the faithfulness and righteousness of these women as well. So even though it's girls who choose God, they're for all children. Um, and adults, um, but we should be clear on that. Yeah, heaven knows, uh, MacArthur, that that we've certainly had the women of the the Christian world having to listen to these stories of men, right? right. So it, it seems like it's fair turnabout that we sit our, our young men down and and our boys down and read these books to them and help them understand that there are great women of great you know just value mm-hmm. and honor and courage throughout the scriptures. Well, and I love, let me tell you a couple of different anecdotes around that, and then we'll move back to your original question. One was a friend of mine said, well, you know, I teach primary, but I can't buy this book for them because my little boys just aren't interested in hearing about women. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Well, exactly. So, like, <laughs> this is why they need the book all the more, right? <laughs> like, like we as women have been trained that we need to pay attention to these stories. Um, having these stories presented, I think, could interest boys. And they're powerful stories. I mean, some of the stories are about warriors. Some of the stories are about women stepping in and and facing down armies. I mean, there's a story in the Book of Mormon about these these young girls facing down an army. You know, that's a powerful story, whether or not you're a little boy or a little girl. But what I appreciate is my brother said, you know, I was sitting there discussing with my family and my sister-in-law said, hey, I'm going to get this for all my friends who are having girls. And my brother flipped around and said, and all the ones who are having boys, because I want my sons to know and marry. When it comes time to marry, I want them to look around and think, I'm going to marry a woman like those from the scriptures. You know, I want to marry a woman who's faithful and strong and in service of God. I mean, like he was the one who pegged it, you know, that there is. There's reason that young women um, and young men both need these need these books. So I was traveling in Denver to do a, a fireside last year, and the bishop actually specifically went to the young men and said, "This fireside is happening tonight, and I better see every one of you here. Right? <laughs> like this is not just a fireside for girls, because there's a woman speaking about a children's book that is the title Girls Who Choose God.' So I appreciated the people who can who can see that vision. Awesome. So so why this book? Yeah, so the family book came up because as we were looking at the gaps, um, we read an article actually by a professor of religion from BYU, um, Dr. Paulson, and he did a historical review of everything we know about Heavenly Mother. And as it turns out, there's a lot more than what, what I had realized. And so he goes through and he catalogs every, you know, 600 some statements that, um, historically had been said about Mother heavenly mother and who said them and what context and it was really really rich and one of the things that he specifically found is we have never by a general authority or prophet been counseled to not speak of heavenly mother those of us who grew up with kind of cultural meme that we were not to speak out of speak of her out of sacred reverence is just a cultural thing that's been propagated it has not been ever the official stance um, and so I realized that what I had been carrying around, this kind of sacred silence, was was wrong. Um, and even more so, I realized moving to India, the need for Heavenly Mother to be present. And I live in a place in India where there are plenty of female goddesses. And 
And it's not wild and crazy to think that God is actually a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. And as we look in this um, world of need and, and the need for equal partnership, the need to really understand that, that there is no room for bigotry, um, having the ultimate role model was was what made the most sense to us. Right. And so in India, for example, um, women cannot find out the sex of their unborn child because too many girl children are aborted. Literally, people do not want to have girl children. When my husband um, had his second child who was a girl, people gave him condolences. You know, when I was pregnant, they said to me, oh, ma'am, think positive. We're going to the temple to pray for you. Just keep thinking positive. You're going to have a boy. And there's reasons for this culturally. In this culture, the women marry into a family and they go to take care of their in-laws and boys are who's left to take care of the parents. So if you don't have a boy, you don't have someone to take care of you in your old age. You don't have someone to manage the business or the farm or or your property or just you to take care of you. That's how the system works. And so people, if they're following this traditional system, which, I mean, I'm about to make a sweeping statement, but I'd say 80% more, <laughs> you know, follow this kind of traditional arrangement, it means that it's important you have a boy. And so looking around and seeing how women experience literally life and death bigotry before they're even born here in India made me realize that as the church comes into India, I mean, we're we're barely here. <laughs> we got a lot of people in this country, you know, over a billion, and the church is barely, barely here. And as we come in, we need to make sure that all of our policies and our manuals and our practices and our habits are in line with our doctrine. And our doctrine is, is that we have a heavenly father and a heavenly mother who love us and who are actively involved in our life. And this is important. And it was amazing, actually, because as Bethany and I started to write this book um, and writing about um, how our heavenly parents are involved in our life, we realized it was such a template for how we were supposed to manage our families. And really, that's the point of this life, is that we're supposed to learn to be like our heavenly father and our heavenly mother. We're supposed to learn to act with divine love. And and the family is kind of the, the workplace of you know, the, the school where we learn to do that. And that doesn't mean you have to have a family that, that, that looks like the, you know, what we think of as the cookie cutter family. That means family wherever you happen to find yourself. And so I didn't get married till I was 37. You know, my family is not the configuration I would have expected. I have friends who I call sister friends because they are near and dear to me as if they were my blood relation. You know, if I went to heaven and, and my family's supposed to be there, these people would be there as well. I read this great story by Madeline Langle where she's describing a dinner party with her family. But the family members who were sitting at the table were some by blood and some by love, all by love, <laughs> but some by kind of been pulled into the collection. And so I want to be really clear that when we wrote this book, it was with this idea that family is what you create um, and, and you can start from wherever, wherever you happen to be. And so we were writing this book because we saw this need for Heavenly Mother to be present. We saw this need for um, the structures of our church to match up with our our doctrine. And we saw this need to understand that family is what we make of it. And it's our grandest opportunity. Um, and those three kind of needs, those three gaps are what pulled together to make this book. 
So, so great. I'm just sitting here as, as you're talking and I'm flipping through some of the, the artwork here. And in the very beginning where you guys talk about families are divine and there's this beautiful picture and with heavenly mother and heavenly father, it kind of in the background and then just, just drawing out from them is essentially all of us as the spirit children of God who, who have come down to earth and taken, you know, come into mortality. Um, talk a little bit about this balance maybe that we need within, like you say, it's there in the theology and yet culturally, for whatever reason, we've just avoided it. The book, the book is so good at putting heavenly father and heavenly mother, both in the artwork and in the text side by side at almost every twist and turn as it discusses one or the other, it actually discusses both. Maybe just talk for a moment of like, like here's where I'm going. I, I feel like if, these kinds of things were in front of our kids their entire lives, uh, at least they're, they're growing up, they would be so much better prepared to go out into the world and, and when they look back on their religion and, and utilize the things they've been taught to have this equality. And, and it seems like it's a struggle right now for us to kind of draw Heavenly Mother out. And I just, I just want to say thank you for making her so prominent in this book and, and maybe just your thoughts on the importance it'll have for future gener- generations if Mormonism right now in the here and now can begin to give our heavenly parents equal status in recognition. Well, and we should be really clear. I mean, what Bethany and I have done is, is absolutely in line with our church doctrine. If you go onto the website, the LDS.org and you type in mother in heaven, an essay pulls up. So the church did 13 essays to kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of our unique doctrines. The last one that they published was mother in heaven. And I should have looked up when this was, but it was within the last like year and a half. And, and they go through and they catalog quotes by prophets and um, general authorities saying what we know. And the first line is that this is our cherished doctrine, cherished doctrine. And so we should be really clear that as we're talking about this, for whatever has happened historically, for whatever reasons and whatever twists and turns happened that that Heavenly Mother was not as present, um, that's those days are done, right? Like that's that's what happened once upon a time. We are in a different place now, and and the church has formally and officially written this essay and pulled these quotes, some of which those quotes are also in our book, and lays down some of the things that we know and love about our heavenly mother. And one of my favorite quotes is actually by Patricia Holland. And she talks about like, what would the world inhabitants give to know that heavenly parents are reaching across mountains and streams and rivers and valleys anxious to help us. Right? So I think all of us have had a moment in our life and specifically in family life where we've just been crushed, right? Like just, I can't do this anymore. Right. And I would say I had one of those moments even last night. <laughs> My one-year-old decided that she wanted to be awake and nursing every hour, all night. And so, like, I just am bleary-eyed and tired and having this, like, oh, like, Father, I, wow, I cannot do this anymore, please, you know. And while we pray to our Heavenly Father, um, as President Hinckley has guided us on, I know that the love that I receive back comes from both a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother. Of course my Heavenly Mother loves me. Of course she's aware of me. Of course she sees me struggling in motherhood and has um, divine empathy and love for me in a way that's more abundant than what, you know, I can imagine. 
And I think it's it's so important for any number of reasons. I mean, I think it's really easy to just get tired, right? And so to know that when when our buckets are empty, that there is this divine well that we can go to of heavenly parents who love us um, unconditionally is just really, really important, right? I mean, so just start right there, that all human beings by very nature sometimes get tired. <laughs> and, and, and tired is a, a small emotion compared to some of the tragedy that people experience where they need to know that divine love is present, right? So I'll just say, like, Tired is the tip of the iceberg, and it goes to a great, great depths um, that people have to experience in this life. And knowing that our heavenly parents, both of them, are there to reach out across and support and lift and love is, I think, just vital information, right, to, to hold us through this. I think right next to that is that we put heavenly mother next to heavenly father because we know that we've been taught that we are to be equal partners and what we've been taught has to has to be a mirror, right? And we've been taught to be loving, we've been taught to be kind, we've been taught to serve. It has to be a mirror of of what heavenly um heaven is about. And so obviously, well, that and there's quotes. <laughs> there's quotes from general authorities that talk about heavenly mother and equal power and might and dominion. Um and sorry, I would splice one of those in right now if I could rattle it off for you. I could I could send it to you. Um but there's these great quotes about Heavenly Mother being of equal power, might, and dominion. And so obviously if we know that that's who she is, then we're going to be as accurate as possible in putting her in the text. You know, we have a quote that she was at the council in heaven. So we don't often talk about that. You know, when we talk about Heavenly Father and Jesus and the plan, we don't often talk about Heavenly Mother. But we have this quote from a general authority that says, you know, our heavenly parents in this council. And so we didn't make stuff up. I mean, we didn't extrapolate to what we think makes sense. We stuck with what we have been taught, um, which is kind of the Mormon model of what we've been taught by general authorities and prophets. Um, and and going on this Latter-day revelation um, that we consider to be scripture, um, then there's this richness of what we know about Heavenly Mother. So what we did is take what we knew that we didn't know we knew, <laughs> take what we've been taught and just make it accurate. You know, so we put Heavenly Mother in the places that we knew through revelation that she was present. And maybe that hadn't been done before. Maybe people hadn't seen that commonly, but it's not as... um it's not it's not wild and crazy, you know. We're just actually having a book that reflects our doctrine. Yeah, really, really good. I uh, I want to talk for just a moment about uh, Caitlin's artwork. One of the things is I'm flipping through all these pictures and I'm looking at them. I mean, the artwork is so unique and it it really it really sets your guys's books I think aside from from all these other things that are out there and it just gives you this unique uh, this unique look. And and as I'm flipping through the artwork, um, because when people go into a bookstore, right, they're they don't know the text immediately. They're going to read the book. But what catches people is that front cover. And as I flip through the book and the artwork, there's there's some themes. And one of the themes that just catches my eye is the people always leaning on each other. Um, that seems to be really uh, – about every third piece of art in the book has got that. And, and there's this one picture that has a family. And, and the kids are leaning one way and dad's leaning in really heavy. And right in the middle of this, of this triangle of family members leaning towards each other is this mom who, who seems to be kind of the pillar of the picture. She's kind of the one who's bearing the brunt of the leaning from both sides. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe speak for just a moment about the artwork and, and what you know from Caitlin's perspective of, of what went into that. 
Well, so interesting that you point out the mother's a pillar. I actually hadn't noticed that. And so it's fun always to hear what people think about art. Um, so Bethany and I have always thought that when we produce these books that we want fine art to be the illustrations. We believe children can can manage fine art, right? That if we're trying to expose our children to the best books in the world, you know, the best art, we want our children to look at these images and feel the uplift that beautiful art does, right? And the other books that I've done in other forums have been with these silly, fun, delightful illustrations, and there's a place for that as well. But in these books that are teaching these kind of noble principles that needed to be ennobling art. And so Kathy Peterson did an amazing job of making these women earthy and powerful and accessible and lovely. Um, her art actually hung in the conference center for two years um, and so that people could could get exposed to the, the women from the scriptures. But then when we started to look around and do the family book, we wanted to have some art that was a little bit different, you know, that it was it was not part of the same series. Um, and we wanted some art that felt modern. And I stumbled across Caitlin's work and then I stalked her. <laughs> I mean, like, relentlessly, I am crazy sending emails being like, no, really, you want to talk to me? I promise, right? And so I actually finally had to, like, get a hold of a friend that lives in Provo and be like, look, do you happen to know this person? He's like, oh, yeah, okay, so call her up and tell her I'm not crazy. And he started laughing. He goes, you are crazy. I'm like, okay, fine, but tell her I'm, like, crazy but harmless, right? Like, (laughs) work with me here. So um, I don't know if he actually ever made that phone call, but um, Caitlin, thinking I was crazy, still was willing to get on the phone with me. And she just said, you know what, I don't, I didn't do art commissions. I said, no, 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 this is, this is different than that. Let me, let me tell you about the vision we've got here and, um, and how we would resist as much as possible to meddle. Cause part of my professional careers, I worked in design and art. And so, you know, I have the qualifications to meddle, but I even promised I wouldn't. Um, so I, I only did a little bit, but Caitlin was marvelous and, um, she caught the vision and then she felt deeply, deeply inspired to paint the cover art. I mean, heavenly inspired, channeling divine to paint this image. And I mean, you've seen the front cover. Um, it's stunning, right? It's this heavenly mother and heavenly father who are young and vibrant and, uh, and have created this kind of cape, this tapestry of their children. You know, and um, and as the forms get get closer down to the bottom of the image, you see more, you know, facial expressions and prominence and more detail of the people, um, you know, farther up. They're just shapes. But you get this idea of kind of the, the Abraham's vision of kind of the sands of the sea. Right. You know, the, 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 the endless infinity of people and and how we're all collective. And so I, I have no idea how Caitlin I mean, how Caitlin's brain worked. I'm, I'm absolutely impressed and inspired by it. But it's this great, powerful image of the collective and of the individual, of the divine, of the human grounded. I mean, like it's a, it is a marvelous, um, depiction of what, of what we're talking about. Um, and I know that she's working on, on some more pieces in this line, but we were really excited to have her work because we like the, the modernity of it. We like the freshness of it. We like the leaning on one another. Um, we like the kind of almost simplicity of the, of the images, you know, the one with the, the mother, um, striding across the mountains with her children, you know, that just captures so much the, um, the daily work and glory of, of being a parent, you know? Um, so yeah, lots of beautiful art in there. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. I want to talk a little bit. So these chapters, uh, what I feel like sometimes in the church, we're so focused on the 
what's the word I want to use? The example, the, the, the normative idea in our minds of what a family should look like, right? There should be a mother, there should be a father, there should be 4.3 kids in a Mormon family. Um, you know, that kind of idea. And, and I think, I assume you guys did this intentionally, but it felt like you kind of stayed away from that. And what you did speak to is what, if we go out in the world and we just find families that love each other, that there's this idea of what what makes those families a family. I just want to read some of these. You've got these chapters. Families are divine. Uh, families begin with parents. Families need a home. Families nurture children. Uh, families thrive with love. All of these chapter headings deal more with what do we find that a family needs or is found in a family that is, that is loving each other, that is, that is being successful, successful in, in their own way. And, and I just want to get a thought from you guys in, in putting these chapters together, maybe some of what went into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be clear, Bethany and I's philosophy was, was actually framed best by the Mormon Women Project. And, uh, they did a review of the book and she said that we focused less on structure and more on um, process. And so what a family looks like is not the point, right? I mean, it's th- there are any number of different variations of family, and, um, and our contribution to family is not about structure. So like I said, I had my true love nephews. They were family. You know, I nurtured those children, frankly, as much as I nurture my own. And, and, and so what the process is, the process that we need – you know, love, we need a home, we need counsel, we need forgiveness, like those things are present everywhere, regardless of whether or not you have the 4.3 children, whether or not you're married, whether or not you're single, whether or not you're divorced, whether or not you're widowed, whether or not, you know, I mean, whatever structure your family is in, you start from what your family is comprised of. And so I think it's really important that we focus more on what families need and 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 understand that kind of along the way, that's a lot messier and a lot more. I shouldn't say messier. That's the wrong term. It's a lot more inclusive and grand and beautiful, right? So I mentioned I have these sister friends like that. My family cloak, you know, like you've got on the front cover of the book, my family cloak, you know, or the stakes as we talk about pounding in the earth, you know, my family tent includes those people. And in fact, it was really interesting. I had a dream a few years back and there was all my family was all there right all my family there all my biological family there and me and and for me that biological family includes adopted kids we have my family and stepchildren and lots of other varieties my family was there and then i saw that there are more people coming in people that i had loved and cared about and they were kind of here and there were floating in this 3d space and then this man comes in and he puts a hand on one guy's shoulder and he says he doesn't belong here. He's got to go. And it was this guy that I had dated that I had loved. And I was standing there in this 3D dream and I was face to face with my husband. But I reached up an arm to where this 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 um, ex-boyfriend of mine was. And I wrapped my hand around his his forearm. And I said to the man who was who was clearing clearing out the riffraff. And I said, no, he's one of mine. He's with me. And I woke up. And it was such an interesting dream to me to be like, our family is made of those we have we have loved in in all sorts of varieties. And so to have children in our family that have come through 
marriage, who've come through um, adoption, who've come through bribery. <laughs> My parents say, we love grandchildren. We'll take them any way we can get them, right? I mean, like, we have a whole slew of different ways that children have joined our family. And and I think that for any person who sees this book and says, oh, that's not for me, I'm not married, or that's not for me, my my spouse isn't a member of the church, or that's not for me, I don't fit this. If you'll notice in the book, there's that one scene that has the mother and father and children. Every other scene is not that. Every other scene shows a part of a family, right? And so we want to be really clear that this family is what you make of it from wherever you're, whatever place you're starting from. And that the, the structure is not as important as the process. Yeah, beautiful. There's one chapter, I don't know if there's a question here necessarily, but I just want to draw this out. You've got this one chapter that's family strive for unity. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a very diversity focused Mormon. I, I like, <laughs> I like when people are different or saying different things or, you know, showing that we've got some paradoxes and some contradictions out there. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm a, I'm a big fan of diversity. And so I saw this chapter heading and I go, Oh no, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to all be the same, but then you hit it. You have this beautiful balance in the chapter. I just want to read this section. So the listeners get a feel for, for the book. Our brother, Jesus Christ taught, if you're not one, you're not mine. Every day a family can practice being united. Being one does not mean giving up your own one of a kind personality. Unity comes when we love and support each other, even in our differences. And I just thought it was, that was just a beautiful, uh, way to kind of frame unity. I think often in the church we think unity is we all get on the same page, we all do the same thing. And it's not. It's loving each other and supporting each other amidst our differences. And I just wanted to just throw you guys a bone and just say that was, it was really great to, to see in all of these chapters this kind of balance come together. And I just want to say you guys just did a marvelous job. Well, thanks. I, it's always fun when people notice different things that we crafted really intentionally, you know, and so, um, one of the joys in my life, um, is travel. I actually think of travel as worship because I go all over the world and I see the things that were created by divine hand, right? And so when you look around the world, you're like, oh my, right? I mean, it, it is awesome in, in, in the most pure, definition of awe, right? It is awesome. And it makes me hit my knees in gratitude. And so if you've looked around the world and you've seen, I mean, you can just talk about the ecological diversity of mountains, plains, deserts, rivers, you know, ice packs. I mean, like, then you look around the people diversity, I mean, and the culture diversity. And if you realize that these things were created by a divine hand, right, that, that Jesus Christ, Christ and Michael and a team of people that worked with them. In fact, Kimball has this great quote about, oh, I shouldn't say Kimball. I think it's Kimball, but I hate to, I hate when people miss the sign. <laughs> I think it's Kimball, but I'm not sure. Um, President Kimball had talked about that, um, Soraya and, um, the, the, the different noble women who'd also participated in creation, right? Um, there wasn't just Abraham and Moses. And, and so all of the people who who got together to create this beautiful divine earth and the amount of diversity, but yet unity, we're all one earth. We all have one set of heavenly parents. We are all beloved. Like that's to me the balance that is so important to recognize, you know, that there is power and strength and awe in in recognizing the, the myriad of gifts that that were created for us. Yeah, beautiful. Um, as far as going forward, uh, 
what other is there any other projects in in these kinds of books that maybe are upcoming? Thing, other things you guys are working on? Well, so Bethany said, <laughs> we're not doing this again. So every year while we have been um, promoting and talking about the first Girls Who Choose God, we're very, very busy writing the second Girls Who Choose God. And that makes you feel a little disjointed, right? I mean, you're just a little spastic when you're trying to be everywhere. And so we decided that this um, heavenly family, earthly families book um, was important enough that we wanted to just give our whole guts and attention to it. So, yeah, of course, we've talked about other projects. Beth and I are you know, creative problem solvers. We've always got lots of ideas popping around in our brains, but we decided we really wanted to spend our time just thinking about this project. Um, and it's been joyful. I mean, there's um, the people I love best are my family and the people that challenge me the most are my family. And so trying to give our best guts and energy to them and this project is, you know, lots, lots of time. <laughs> and so, yeah, more will come. But for now, we want to stay very present and, um, and appreciate where we are. I love that. I, uh, I want to just finish off where, where can people find this book and the other books you guys have written? You've mentioned Deseret Book. Is, is that the only place these books can be gotten? Nope, nope. Um, if you're a Prime member, Amazon.com can send this to you on Prime. Um, Deseret Book also has them. Independent bookstores have them. Um, there's lots of other options. Um, one thing I should mention is earlier in the interview, you talked to me about what this would mean for generations further. And I didn't really acknowledge it, uh, answer that because I was, we're talking about other pieces, angles of the question. But I think that, um, it makes, I, I don't know how to overstate this. I don't think it can be overstated. The doctrine of heavenly parents and eternal families, um, is, game changing for most of the world. So for us to have a storybook um, that puts this pure doctrine um, in front of children and families, because these are books that are supposed to be read with family members, right? I mean, this is not a storybook a little kid's going to pick up necessarily, but putting this in front of families, putting this in front of people, making this be part of our very common understanding of the world is crucial, like it is what this life is about. It's becoming more loving as our heavenly parents have given us this example. And so it's, this is not me self glorifying our book. This is me, um, being humble that our heavenly parents have loved us enough to give us this knowledge so that we can, we can get through this world and get through this life, um, with as much joy as they offer. And so I think that your question earlier about like, what does this matter? I think is really important. It matters. It is the thing that matters. So, yeah, yeah. I think going forward, just this recognition of heavenly mother and heavenly father together is, is game changing. And I feel like you're, you and the rest of the folks involved with this book, you guys are on the frontier of that. And I just want to say thank you uh, again. Uh, appreciate you being on. MacArthur Krishna, uh, author of the book, Our Heavenly Family, Our Earthly Families. Uh, thank you so much. And again, people uh, who are listening, uh, these books are just fabulous. They're, they're, they'd make a great Christmas gift, a chance to just sit down with, with your kids or to send them as a gift to another family that you love and care about where they can share these stories and we can all begin to find greater value in each other and, and the whole of us together. Um, MacArthur Krishna, thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Bill. 
They say one day wins and now you say 